Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Collier Bristow's US-UK podcast, a series which investigates and explores some of the most frequently asked questions in US-UK cross-border estate planning. Today, we're examining the topic of the accidental American, otherwise known as the American who doesn't know that she or he is American. We look at the rules governing US citizenship, how this impacts the individual's exposure to US taxation, and what can be done about it if the individual decides to retain or give up the citizenship at that point. I have the great pleasure today to be joined by Chantal Randy and Alexandra Crean, attorneys with the US law firm Nixon Peabody, a global 100 law firm with more than 700 attorneys across the US with international offices in Shanghai, Hong Kong, and London. Chantal and Alexandra are both based out of the firm's Boston office, and I have the pleasure to have them both here as my first international guests on this podcast. Chantal, Alex, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you both? I'm great. Thanks, Aiden, for having us. It's lovely to have both of you here as well. Full disclosure to the podcast, for those that don't already know, I was an American. I was not an accidental American, but I have some experience of being an American overseas. Chantel and Alex are Americans based in America. Between us, we cover most of the gamut of being Americans formally and currently. So to the first question, what is an accidental American and why can you be accidental and not know that you have a citizenship that you didn't realize you had? Chantal, Alex, what if you want to sort of go over the rules first? How the hell can it be that someone doesn't know they're an American? So some people have the very lucky or unlucky, depends on who you ask, happenstance of being an American. And it happens because the U.S. has this very interesting system. I always get a different statistic, but I believe we are one of the few countries that gives you automatic citizenship if you are born on U.S. soil. So there is nothing you have to do. You do not have to apply for a passport. If you were born on U.S. soil, you are a U.S. citizen, which comes with its perks and its downfalls. But you also, the wonderful thing about the U.S. tax system is you are then subject to U.S. income and transfer taxes, estate, gift, generation skipping transfer taxes on a worldwide basis for the rest of your life. So that comes with its additional tax and reporting burdens. And this comes, like I said, whether you pick up a U.S. passport, if you were born in the U.S. and you flew back on your private jet to wherever you're from the day after, or if you lived in the U.S. for the rest of your life, you're subject to these same tax and reporting overall, you know, worldwide taxation system. And that's the case for the, just for the avoidance of doubt, it doesn't matter whether you landed in JFK, your mother was heavily pregnant and had no choice but to rush to the infirmary. And you were born at that point and you spent all of six hours. I mean, that's a quick labor, but you know, you spent (laughs) 24 hours in the U S or if you had settled permanently in the U S as far as the I forget which uh, uh, which part of the U.S. Constitution it is. You are born on American soil, therefore you are an American. Full stop. Period. That's absolutely true, and I think also to the point of being an accidental American and sort of the two flavors we typically see. We absolutely have the person who didn't know being born in the U.S. made them a U.S. citizen, and then I think we also have another flavor of people who knew they were born in the U.S. but to Chantel's point, didn't realize that they're fully subject to U.S. taxation, you know, on, you know, whatever they have and and whatever they're doing. And I think we really see both of those when we're talking about accidental Americans. And I think the true accident is, is just not knowing there's a lot to do and there's going to be some complexity moving forward. Now, just to check, Chantal, Alex, um, in case anyone who's listening to this podcast thinks that these are rules that have changed in the last couple of years, Am I right in saying that the whole being born on U.S. soil is a fairly long-standing part of sort of the U.S. tax rules? 
Yes, Aiden. It was established in the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, and that was in 1868. So I guess you could say it's been around a while. I mean, if you've got clients that are coming forward who aren't bound by the 14th Amendment, (laughs) I mean, I'd, I'd like to see those clients. That covers accidental Americans, quote unquote, who are born in the U.S. and so maybe didn't realize what the consequence of being born in the U.S. were, or rather their parents didn't. However, I know from my own experiences of being in a family that has American citizens in it that you can become an American citizen when you're not born on American soil due to one or both of your parents being American citizens. So at a very, very high level, what are some of the things that individuals should be thinking about when they are looking to their parentage as whether they are also American citizens? So I think when we have folks who are born overseas to parents who are American, you know, the thing we have to be mindful of is when they were born. You know, one thing which we always think, particularly now, we're sort of progressing into this, you know, world where people can have families and not be married. We also have to look to the marital status of the parent. And we also, at some level, need to look at, and it's going to depend, again, when somebody's born is, um, you know, how long the parent was in the U.S. previously. And there's some range. It's really really, again, going to depend on when you're born, about how many years. And I think there's, in most cases, some sort of, you know, threshold, you know, after 14 years old, you need to be in the U.S. for X amount of time and living there. But that's another situation where somebody could be U.S. and and really may not have known about it. Um, Am I right? If we were sort of drawing a a broad rule of thumb from this, that if you've got someone who's arrived in the U.K., for example, as a young adult, let's say they've come to study in the UK at college and they've met a Brit while they were here and they are now sort of here in their 20s, 30s, 40s, etc. But they spent, let's say, the first 18 years of their life in the US only moving outside the US, let's say, for higher education or for jobs. Across those rules that you mentioned, Alex, those are the sorts of time periods where we would be assuming that that person's child is now going to be an American as well, because they've spent enough time both before and after the age of 14, give or take. And with two parents, am I right that you are, again, automatically an American or rather the IRS would expect you to be an American at that point? Yeah, it's interesting here. And I think maybe this is the time to bring it up that what the IRS classifies you as is not necessarily the same as what immigration status you'll have with the United States. So one of the situations we often see, and this is a bit, you know, we're diverging here a bit, is green card holders. Mm -hmm. So people that are considered permanent long-term residents in the United States, which is colloquially referred to as a green card holder, they will sometimes give up their green card, meaning it expired, they threw it in the trash, they don't want to use it, they're moving back to wherever they came from or somewhere else, they're leaving the US. They think, okay, I'm done. That's I gave it up. And from an immigration standpoint, that is correct. If you if it expires, if you leave for a certain amount of time, it will become void for immigration purposes. But what that does not mean is that you are no longer considered a U.S. person from the IRS's viewpoint. So this you really get yourself up a creek here. I won't say what type of creek, but you're up the creek without a paddle, because from an immigration standpoint, you can't come into the U.S. as a long term permanent resident, but you are still considered a U.S. person, meaning a U.S. resident, meaning that you're subject, as we were saying, to the worldwide system of taxation on your income and assets. So it's just 
it's this, you've always got to keep in mind that when you ask an immigration attorney, a U.S. immigration attorney about your status, that might be a completely different classification than it would be from a taxation viewpoint. Let me let me try and drip as much sarcasm into my next comment as possible. Chantel, are you saying that the, the immigration services in the US might be looking to exclude certain people from the US and yet the IRS is happy to take tax from them? Did that sound sarcastic enough? <laughs> it did. And, you know, in case I ever want to run for office one day, perhaps I won't comment too heavily on one way or the other of the US government. But yes, I think sometimes exclusionary purposes for immigration standpoint is not the same motive that it would be from an IRS viewpoint. Uh, and, you know, to put to put this podcast in context and let no one say that there aren't sort of live real world examples that come out of this at, you know, at time of recording, it wasn't long ago where our now prime minister, uh, Rishi Sunak, was discovered to have been a green card holder. And I don't believe at time of recording he's handed it back anyway he certainly was a green card holder and so under the us's rules as far as the the, the us's tax rules are concerned that he he continues to be a permanent resident of the us whilst holding the highest office in the uk is an interesting sort of political and fiscal dilemma one that we don't need to get to on this podcast but you know suffice to say is the sort of example of how it's quite easy to get into some hot water over a citizenship or a green card and that if you are someone who has or currently holds one of them, uh, you should examine what your current exposures are from a tax perspective, as well as what your rights are from a citizenship perspective. Absolutely. And if he's listening to this podcast, he can always give us a call here at Nixon Peabody, and we'd be happy to help him out. I have no doubt that he'll be picking up the phone imminently once uh, once this episode has been published. So I know, Chantel, that you have touched on it already, but it is probably the most fundamental part to this a whole topic. And so I do want to linger on it as frequently as possible. This concept of why being an accidental American matters, which really goes to why being an American, parentheses, for tax purposes, matters. What is it about US citizenship that is so unique to, say, British citizenship? And why, therefore, do we exercise ourselves so much about it? Alex, just remind us again, why being an American matters so much to the IRS? Well, you're taxed on everything. I mean, at that level, simple as that. Um, you're going to be, yeah, yeah. So there, and there's two types of tax, and Chantel touched upon this before. We are talking more, you know, we're talking about income taxation, so worldwide income taxation, but we also have a transfer tax system. And uh, you, you know, a U.S. person, a U.S. citizen, and a U.S. resident will be subject to U.S. estate and gift tax on a worldwide basis. Something I think we haven't quite touched upon, although we've sort of alluded to it, is also the fact, and this is continuing on how immigration status might not matter, but at least in the estate and gift tax realm, residency is determined under a whole different test than it would be for income tax purposes. And again, it it may not matter what your immigration status is. It could be really about where you live and where you call home and um, you know where you intend to be. I mean, if that's not a reason to pick up the phone to Nixon Peabody, I don't know what is. Am I right, though, that there are, maybe looking to the transfer taxes, the gift and estate taxes in the US, there are some benefits to accidentally discovering that you're an American. Let's say I, as a as a, as a UK resident, own large amounts of uh, US real estate or US stock, large amounts of US situate assets. The difference in exposure to me as a non-resident alien compared to being a 
permanent resident, US citizen, take whatever definition I'm supposed to use. There can be positives from discovering you're a citizen as well. Am I right? Oh, absolutely. So right now in the US, if you are a US citizen or US resident, we have record high estate and gift tax exemptions. I think for 2023, we're going to be at $12,920,000 exemption. It's inflation adjusted and inflation seems to be good and good, seems to be doing good in that regard. Whereas if you're not a US citizen or a US resident, your exemption is $60,000. And for whatever reason, that's not inflation adjusted and has been the same for very long time. Let no one say that the Americans don't look after their own. We look under the wealth. We look after the wealth. <laughs> That's not an example of the American dream that you should be allowed to make your wealth and pass it down to the next generation without the government getting its hands on it. I don't know what is. It's also worth saying, of course, and I think for your benefit, Alex, we have discussed this previously on this podcast that exemption for completeness is going to go down in a couple of years' time. So anyone that's listening to this podcast who hasn't yet already had those discussions with their accountant, their CPA, their their attorneys, et cetera, who is looking at their allowance thinking, gosh, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make use of that $12, $13 million allowance. It might be a case of using it or losing it in the next two or three years because in two or three years' time, it's being halved and you won't then have the benefit of the large exemption. You'll still have an exemption that's probably 20, 30 times larger than the UK exemption but it won't be 50 or 60 times larger. So put it in perspective, put it in context, speak to your attorneys, figure out if there's something you want to do with it. When we come back, I would like to talk to Alex and to Chantel about what happens once we've discovered we're an accidental American. What if we want to keep our passports? What if we want to give them back? And what filing obligations we might have with the IRS? So please do join us for part two. <laughs> 